This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, good morning. I'm Frank Proctor, the sous chef of The Garden Show, and all things being equal, this is the last time that Charlie and I will be recording the show. Now, speaking of Charlie, there she is on the line from her new home in Prince Edward County. Now, last week, Charlie, you were all excited because your newly arrived contractors had arrived. Now, tell us what's been happening on the property this past week. Yeah, my newly hired contractors, and they did arrive. It was so, I tell you, Frank, I am over the moon. Uh, So much change. I'm just, it's super exciting. So last week, starting Tuesday, 7 a.m., using three different large pieces of equipment, the guys took down the equivalent of, believe it or not, six dump truck loads of weeds. Like, we're talking piles and piles of weeds. So instead of just shipping all that material off the property at a cost, they dug a couple of huge pits and buried all the weeds and then they proceeded to level and grade the land well i and my colleague heather used hoses and paint to indicate garden beds and of course stakes to indicate where trees are going so these my crew have been excavating gardens filling in all these big holes in my property with gorgeous triple mix so far 180 cubic yards has been delivered and that came from our local sprouts landscape supply I called them this morning for four more loads, so it's 20 yards per load, so I've just phoned them for another 80 yards to come today. Um, We did have a rain day last Thursday, uh, then a tractor-trailer load of trees and shrubs from a wholesale nursery in Waterdown arrived on Friday. So today, as then, okay, so then over the weekend, lots of big wind. I think that wind was everywhere in Ontario, and uh, it was a bit challenging. The plants kept falling over. I didn't want them getting broken, but, you know, I ended up laying them down, and uh, once the wind stopped, I stood them all back up, and we watered them, and all is absolutely perfect. The crew are back at it today, and I'm happy and thrilled to tell you my <laughs> first trees have been planted. I've got right now six beautiful white spruce being installed. Isn't that great? Well, you hardly sound excited at all. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I can hardly talk. I'm so excited. <laughs> but look at thank you, thank you for sending me pics of the those huge trucks dumping all sorts of wonderful soil on the property. But any chance that your daughter Sydney will be able to put some pics on your website to let folks have a peek at what's going on? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we'll we'll get a, a sort of befores and afters up there pretty quick. But in the meantime, follow me on Instagram because uh, she's been posting videos there. Okay. It's just Charlie. Do- I'm just Charlie Dobbin on Instagram. Okay. Now, as mentioned, we hope to be live in studio for next week's show. So it'll be terrific to hear the voices of our listeners again. Right, Charlie? Oh, absolutely. And right off the bat, Frankie, let's send out a big, huge virtual hug and thank you to Joel, our producer, who's helped us every single show throughout this pandemic and even given up part of his holidays to make sure we were able to continue to do the show. So you're right. It'll be super to hear people, all of our listeners. Oh, good. We're clap- we got the clappers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> 
you're, it'll be super to hear our listeners and their, their questions live. But just in case something goes haywire, do send along a question to my email address. Uh, Frankie, why don't you shoot that to the folks one more time? Absolutely. So to cover our butts, here's Charlie's email address, c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com. Okay, Charlie, what's next? Uh, well, I'm going to steal a page from your playbook, Frank. You know how much you love to do shout-outs. Really? And to <laughs> whom, whom would this be directed to, Fair Maiden? I think I need to send a, a big uh, hello to my students at Durham College, who I'll be working with starting next week. Okay, Professor. What have you whipped up uh, in that curriculum, all kidding aside? What's entailed in teaching a course like this? Well, as you know, I teach in the horticulture department at Durham College in Whitby. So I've got two classes this semester, as usual, or just like we ended the semester last year. All lectures are online, while all labs will be either outside, you know, out in on the grounds, or in our college greenhouse. So the first year class is called Horticultural Principles, and the second years we'll be learning about historical and contemporary garden and landscape maintenance. Very hands-on labs in the in, uh, for the um, any of these courses. So uh, we'll be doing the maintenance course at Parkwood Estates in Oshawa. Not sure if you've ever been there. It was home to the McLaughlin family, the people that started GM in Canada. Right. Oh, Charlie, our producer Joel just gave us the cue. We're approaching the first break in the show. And as we head to that break, how about another shout out to our sponsors who have hung with us through rough times during this pandemic? No kidding. 2020 so far has shaped up to be a very different experience for most of us. So big thanks to Stoke Seeds in particular for staying strong and supplying excellent quality seeds to both farmers and hobby gardeners. Okay, Charlie and I'll be right back here on the show with Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, I'm looking at our first email. It's from Julie Morningstar Novus. And she says, uh, hi, Charlie. I listen to you and Frank on your podcast every week. Can you plant a lavender topiary in the garden or keep it in a pot all winter? Now, I live a little bit north of Leamington. Thank you for all your gardening wisdom, Julie. Okay, it's a really good question, Julie. And you do live in a very warm part of the province. So what it really comes down to is what variety of lavender you're growing. Because there are some lavenders that are hardy enough that where you live, they would definitely survive in the ground. A topiary would survive in the ground. In a pot, you need a big pot because remember, it's a lot colder above ground than below ground. So the bigger the pot, the better the chance of success over the winter. You make sure that the pot is well watered as winter is coming on. And I always tuck, like I would definitely tuck a lavender into preferably sort of a, a southeast corner somewhere because you want, uh, you want to minimize the wind on any of your potted plants over the winter in order for them to survive. So the east is the best. Uh, South or, you know, the sun is okay, but you might have to water if it's a super sunny spot. But out of the wind, uh, out of the sun is even better. And then there are some lavenders, and I've seen some of the topiaries that are actually annual lavender. So uh, feel free to send me another email if you wish, just to give me the actual species of lavender that you're you're wondering about but it might work it just depends what you're what you're growing okay uh our next email just from the greeting off the top leads me to suspect they might hail from australia because pat leckie writes 
Good day, Charlie. <laughs> we, <laughs> I threw the accident in myself. Uh, we have had our uh, hydrangea plant for six to seven years, but for some reason it hasn't bloomed in two years. We're in Port Colburn, directly in Lake Erie, and as a result, have very sandy soil. It faces southeast, so receives sunlight whenever our 80-foot oak trees will allow the light to peek through. We've been listening to your show for years and figured if anyone would know why, it's you. Thank you for your great advice over the years, and please say hi to Frank as well, Pat Leckie. Well, good day to you, Pat. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Frankie. Uh, So, okay, Jim, you know what? This question is a very common question. Why are my hydrangea not blooming? And even Paul DeGroote our good friend who works at NVK uh, Wholesale Nursery, who shipped me all those gorgeous plants last week, even he sent me a, a, an email saying, I don't understand. Why doesn't my hydrangea bloom? I'm doing everything right, and it's still, you know, three years in a row, no blooms. So what do we do? Well, we know that many people who are struggling with hydrangeas are struggling with what are called the Endless Summer Series. They were very excited when they were first introduced onto the market because they bloom on both new wood, meaning uh, stems that have grown this year, this growing season, but they also bloom on old wood. So that would refer to stems that grew the season before. Um, But you know what? Like I said, I've had this question over the years so many times and I can't ever come up with the perfect answer. However, remember, Proven Winners. Just remember the name, the two names, Proven Winners. They are the company that designed and, and market all these beautiful hydrangeas. And they have a pretty good stuff on their website. So go to Proven Winners. Go to Why Isn't My Hydrangea Blooming? They really do have, it's called Hydrangeas Demystified. So Proven Winners, Hydrangeas Demystified. Why Isn't My Hydrangea Blooming? And follow down the chart. So it, it goes down, down from multi-pages, all the different kinds of hydrangeas, how to prune, what to expect, when to water, how much sun. And that's uh, honestly my my best suggestion for all of you out there that are frustrated by your hydrangeas. Okay. Uh, the next email from Dan McNiven, he writes um, from Coyote Creek Deer Company. That sounds really interesting. I'm going to have to Google that myself. Uh, anyway, they're located north of Georgetown. Good day, Charlie. Our garden of 31 tomato plants purchased in spring from Aaron Garden Center have drastic wilting. Now, initially, it looks like lack of watering. All plants three to four feet high and healthy and loaded with tomatoes. About three weeks ago, the wilt started and looks like uh, vertilium wilt. Verticillium. right? No, Pardon me? oh yeah, no, it's it's actually pronounced verticillium. He spelled it wrong. Oh. There's a there's a C okay. in there. <laughs> Alrighty. Anyway, <laughs> sent you some photos. Can we do anything? What about next year's soil contamination? Mm-hmm. Listen to you and your team every Saturday. You're the best, Charlie. I like that. <laughs> I like that, too. Hey, team. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, okay, so again, this is something that has come up every summer, usually even earlier than this time. Often by July, August, we start getting questions about how come my tomatoes are collapsing. So remember, tomatoes in general, as a genus, are susceptible to three different kinds of blights. We call it early blight, mid blight, and late blight. And the early blight would have happened, you know, we would have started seeing spots all over our plants way back in July. But it was so dry 
why we didn't have any problems with the early part of the season. Um, now, as we continue through the summer, we are now into something called the, the later blight. And it is typically, and he's right, it's probably, it could be verticillium, it could be, be fusarium. So there's two different, fusarium wilt is likely what he's got going on there. Um, you can tell it's a fusarium wilt because the leaf stems will start to droop. So the, the leaves will start to droop because the, the stems where the leaves attached to the main branches start to droop. It starts at the lower portion of the plant, moves up very quickly until the entire plant is wilted. You can confirm that it is fusarium wilt by slicing open a main stem with a sharp razor blade uh, lengthwise, and you'll see dark streaks running right through the center of the stems. And if you do, you know it's fusarium. Bottom line is, what are you going to do? Well, the, the plants are probably toast. You can try and save the green ones. They're not going to turn red and make some green tomato chutney or whatever. And, uh, and next year, you've got lots of things you can do to avoid this. The main thing is rotate your crops. Do not grow tomatoes in the same spot. You're going to have big problems. Um, good garden hygiene. Make sure there's no diseased leaves left around. Um, make sure you avoid wet foliage. Choose desistant resistant varieties. There are disease resistant varieties. When you're selecting tomatoes, they will say VFN right on the tag. And um, air circulation, all those important things. Make sure you keep your plants well apart. You'll always have more problems if your plants are, are packed in too tight. Okay, the next email actually is more of a uh, tip, uh, I guess, as, a po- as you wrote. said, this is a good tip from Lucy Kelly <laughs> in Grimsby, Ontario. Just let me read this. Uh, good morning to you both. Love your Saturday morning show and garden talk as it starts my day with a coffee and great ideas from yourselves and your listeners we were you were discussing spring perennials that give two weeks of flower and foliage through the summer i'd like to give a shout out to add to your list the lenten rose it is almost one of the first to flower in early spring around the same time as the snowdrop the flowers last for six weeks and more and they give you a nice round coverage throughout the summer and beyond they don't take over the garden has a nice understated flower that stays around for a long time. Thanks again for passing along all your knowledge and information. It is greatly appreciated. Lucy Kelly writes that nice little note to us. Yeah, very nice. Thank you, Lucy. Appreciate the tip. And I'm sure our listeners will as well. Okay, uh, we're going to take our next break at this point in time in the Garden Show, but Charlie and I shall return here on Zoomer Radio. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, we're uh, going to a question here from uh, uh, Leonora Benjamin. Uh, Very short. She says, good morning. My lawn, as I'm sure a lot of others, is more brown than green with more weeds than grass. Is it too early to get a power rake dethatch done on it then hopefully reseed well you know actually frank by the time this show airs because you know keep in mind you and i are recording this on monday august 31st but it's airing on september 5th so perfect timing it's absolutely a perfect time to get out power raking dethatching rakes any raking to get some of that brown and dead stuff out make sure that you've got some good moisture in the soil and you know we've certainly had 
some improved weather. We've had cooler temperatures and some rain through the month of August. So, you know, assuming that that all keeps up, it's going to be absolutely prime time for lawn repair. So good moisture in the soil. You'll, you'll find that you can get out the dead stuff quite easily, get that removed right off the lawn, and then not just reseed, but top dress and overseed. So top dressing is just that roughly half an inch of a good quality. It can it can be a real lawn top dressing soil or even just a triple mix, something that you can give about a nice half inch, fill in the holes, fill in the blanks, uh, overseed that, lightly rake your seed just to lightly cover it so the birds don't take it away and get out your sprinkler if necessary because remember once seed becomes moistened once you have to keep it moist not wet but moist until it germinates so it's going to be about two weeks of sort of constantly keeping it reasonably moist and look out for weeds pull those weeds as soon as you see them and your grass should be able to fill right in Okay, hope that helps out Lucy there, or at least uh, Leonora. Uh, we have a <laughs> note from uh, Terence Mc, uh, McNamara. There we are. McNamara's band, right? Uh, well, hiya, Charlie. I, I like to uh, plant a row of large hydrangeas across the bottom of my backyard as a privacy hedge. The uh, yard faces east and gets morning sun, but the rest of the day is shaded by a large maple tree. What varieties would you recommend? And that's from Terrence and Hamilton. So, you know what? I, I wish I could recommend varieties, plural, but honestly, Annabelle is still going to be your your best choice. Annabelle has uh, been around forever, I think. It's a variety of uh, hydrangea that handles sun and shade, and certainly that morning sun is optimal because hydrangeas love morning sun. They don't really like western sun generally. It's just too hot, too intense, but a morning sun is much more gentle, and then you've got that shade later in the day, not a problem. Um, so I would just fill in a row of Annabelles. I plant them at least a meter apart across the bottom of the backyard. Uh, obviously water them in. And remember that they they bloom, going back to what I said to the earlier caller, their earlier email, that this particular Annabelle blooms on new woods or blooms on new growth. So in the spring, you're going to cut or late winter, you're going to cut those Annabelles right down eight to 10 inches tall every single spring, right across, just raise them across there. And uh, they'll bloom, you know, grow back up and bloom throughout uh, July, August, September. They're very, very reliable. One of the best. Alrighty. Uh, you know, you've commented a couple of times this morning, certainly once, that this show is being broadcast on the 5th of September, although we recorded mm -hmm. it last Monday, the last mm -hmm. day of, uh, of August. But this summer has been one heck of a hot summer, has it mm -hmm. not? Well, yeah, I mean, thank goodness it has cooled off because I'm outside laboring. And if it had been that same 30, 35 degree heat, I would just be a, you know, a pool of jelly <laughs> in in some of the mud here uh it's just it was just not nice not a nice summer for anybody working outside i mean that's when you when it was so hot in july and so dry and you think about roofers as an example or hvac installers up on those hot you know construction people in in the cities it's like gosh so hard to work in that heat it, you know it's it gets to the point of being unsafe you know people are keeling over from uh you know heat exhaustion and that sort of thing so i'm thrilled that it has cooled off and we have been getting some rain but yeah, thank goodness but frankie have you tasted any of the sweet corn this season 
Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. there's a guy, a local guy, uh, Robert, uh, and mm. I, can't, I don't know his last name, uh, just on Warden Avenue, a little bit north of uh, Vivian Side Road. By gosh, that I don't. I've got to find out the variety of corn, but it is so sweet. It's you could you don't even have to cook it almost. You exactly, know? Eat you just it right heat it up a bit. I know oh. you just eat it out of the field. No, you're right. Yep. You're absolutely right. And so that's the benefit of all that heat and all that dry and all that sun. It's amazing corn. So you know, every year is a different year. I mean, we've had some really cold, wet springs and long, drawn out, cool summers. This summer, damn hot, damn dry, but. <laughs> excellent corn right. <laughs> and not to mention pretty good tomato crops i think for most people you know, there's a, a letter that i've been holding on to here and i uh, want to get this in because it really interesting stuff sent in by laura grant and uh, i'm going to amend my comments here to say well i was listening to your program last saturday but a couple of saturdays ago put it that way and wanted to let you know that i grow several varieties of lotus in my garden now some are planted in cattle troughs buried in the ground Others are in pots on the patio. These, uh, those in pots are taken in the unheated garage for the winter, and the others are perfectly hardy outside. I had a friend in Moperth who had passed away, who had a one-acre area with seven ponds planted with lotus. One of the ponds was so large, he built a boardwalk to an elevated platform so he could view lots from above. I, or I organized the Ontario Water Garden Society 20 years ago, and we had several visits to the Carnard River to view our native lotus. The book, The Lotus, Know It and Grow It, it has one of my pictures of the native lotus taken at this river. And she puts in a really interesting note here, I didn't realize this, but all parts of lotus are edible. I did a short article in the local paper last year and invites you to come up and visit her. Her garden is in St. David's, Niagara-on-the-Lake, and that's from Laura Grant. Really interesting. Yeah. I remember Laura. She's very, very involved in lots of different societies. She was quite a mover and shaker at Canada Blooms back in the day. So thanks for that, Laura. That's great information, and I would love to visit you. So once once we get out back out on the road, I'll I'll do my best. Sounds like a road trip we could take, Charlie. I'd love to go along, mm -hmm. too. Okay. Niagara on the Lake is gorgeous. <laughs> you bet. Well, oh, and here's a note that you tacked onto this uh, little note from Nancy Hamilton in Mississauga. I hope Warner is listening. Hello, Charlie and Frank. <laughs> this is my sister, uh, Rose of Sharon, which needs serious pruning, is about 15 years old. Now, in the past, it has had only light trimming at the top. Can you tell us how to prune it properly so that it'll be shorter and more compact and when the best time is to do this? Also, I tried Werner's recipe for tomato plants with excellent results. There are lots of tomatoes, and they are large, heavy, and very delicious. <laughs> Thank you for your wonderful show, Nancy Hamilton in Mississauga. All right. Like I said, I hope Warner's listening. <laughs> yeah. And if anybody yeah. wants to see Warner's recipe for growing the best tomato plants, you can find the details of his recipe on my website. So that's charliedobbin.com. Once you go to that website and the homepage opens up, look across the top, you'll see a little tab says tips. And if you click on tips, I've um, listed some of the different yeah, great recipes that some of our listeners have shared with us over the years. So uh, uh, certainly for anybody who wants to grow tomatoes like Nancy and Warner, the information is there. 
Now, the Rose of Sharon at her sister's place that does look pretty god-awful in the photograph she sent. Um, <laughs> here's what you got. It hasn't been pruned. Like, it's just leaning over. It's not, not a good-looking plant. So you're going to wait till next spring, or I would wait till next spring, unless for some reason it's uh, in the way and you have to cut it back this fall. But leave it alone if you can for the winter. Next spring, remember, Rose of Sharon are the last shrub to look like they're alive. So they have, you know, everything has got leaves and buds and, and they're happening, but the Rose of Sharon is just sitting there. So you think, oh, it's dead, but then sure enough, on one morning you go out and it's got some little green showing on it. So at any, at any time in the spring when you're out there pruning and it's a nice dry day, don't wait for there to be growth on this plant. Just get out your loppers and right away just take the whole top third off of that plant. So bring it down by a third because that's as much as you can do at any one spring. At the same time, you're going to get out, you're going to pull out your secateurs or your pruners, and you're going to prune away the dead, the diseased, or the damaged stem. So anything that's crisscrossing, uh, growing into the middle, damaging itself, or causing a whole, you know, lack of air circulation and, and sun penetration, you're going to prune that out. And at that point, you're going to let it be for the rest of the season. And then the next spring, you can do the same thing again and do that every spring until you're happy with the shape and the size of it. Generally speaking, we never remove more than a third at a time. Okay. Uh, Diane Campbell in Hamilton writes, Hiya, Charlie and Frank. I love your show and listen every week as I travel around in my car. My daughter gave me an African violet for Mother's Day. I used to be able to grow them without any problem, but haven't had one in a few years. I put it out in my balcony where it got scorched. It's now recovered and is starting to bloom again. My question is, how do I winter it? I live in an apartment, so it won't get much sunlight. The only sunny place I could put it has two problems. First of all, it is where the radiator is. Second of all, my cat would have a field day with it. <laughs> Any suggestions? Thanks for your help, Diane, in Hamilton. Okay, so you know what, Diane? I don't think you, you're going to have a problem. Remember, African violets, when they're indoors, do not need direct sunlight. They like a bright spot, but they, as you recognize from having put it out on the balcony, know that African violets do not tolerate hot direct sun because they scorch so easily. So a bright spot like your window ledge should be fine. Uh, in terms of the cat... Most cats, in my experience, don't chew fuzzy leaves. And of course, African violets have fuzzy leaves. If the cat does decide it wants to chew the fuzzy leaves, they are not poisonous. There is no, no danger to your cat. But if you're worried that the cat's going to destroy the African violet, you might have to build a little corral around the African violet to protect it from the cat. I get um, cat grass for my cat because my cat does love to chew green things midwinter. So I'll... I'll grow some cat grass or, or buy an, a little pot of cat, of cat grass at the grocery store or the pet store, and my cat does love that. So just maybe as a, a way to keep the cat out of the African violet. And you're right about the radiator. You don't want it directly on top of a radiator because they like African violets like a humid environment. So that's why we always water them from the bottom, uh, and we don't want the leaves to get wet. And even best put a bit of a pebble tray below the plant. Pebbles in a tray, water in the pebbles, plants sitting on the pebbles, just to provide some humidity. So um, definitely not directly, I, you don't tell me what kind of a radiator you have, but uh, yeah, you don't want to put it directly on a radiator or have any hot air blowing on the plant. But I think you should be fine with it. 
Okay. Uh, as we approach our next break, Charlie, it might be a good time to remind listeners that should they be listening and saying, oh, gosh, so much information there. I wish I'd had a recording of that. Well, actually, you do uh, on a podcast. <laughs> uh, you go to yeah. zoomerradio.ca and you'll find podcasts there. And uh, then you select the garden show and then the date you want. And you can re-listen to the show and get all the specific instructions from that particular show so you don't have to worry about, you know, mishearing something or whatever uh in any yeah case. well Go that's ahead. a good point frank because i've had actually had about three email this week of people saying that uh they missed the answer to a question that they wanted to hear and i've been directing them back to the podcast and uh the people at the station are pretty good like the the podcasts are now being posted the monday after the show is broadcast and if for some reason Every now and then something happens, you'll always find the podcast also on iTunes. So you don't have to just go to AM740. The podcasts go out there on a, a number of different sites. So uh, if you, like I say, just iTunes, garden shows, our show is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. You got it. Okay. Oh, digging the ribs there from Joel. We've got to take a break now. So uh, Charlie and I will be back in moments with The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. <laughs> Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, uh, for a note here uh, from Ron and Leslie Ann Klein in Niagara-on-the-Lake, a beautiful part of the country. Hello, Charlie. This limelight hydrangea was planted in this location a year ago. As you can see, there's a picture attached, of course. The tree is in very full and heavy bloom. So full and heavy, in fact, that one of the main offshoot branches is broken under the weight. We trimmed the branches best we could, but there remains a separation crack where the offshoot branch met the main trunk. Two questions now. Is there something we can or should do to repair or protect that separation crack? And is there something we can do to avoid this happening any further? Mm. Mm. So it's funny. This is the hydrangea show. Have you noticed? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Go And again, go back to like, I hope everybody's listening. Hydrangeas demystified because limelight hydrangea is a proven winner hydrangea. Uh, proven winners has... Uh, produced quite a lot of many of the beautiful, beautiful hydrangeas that we've been growing in the last 10 or 20 years. And I love limelight. It's, as we see in the picture, it it's a heavy bloomer. And clearly, you know, this plant has been watered and all those heavy blooms are causing the whole thing to lean over. It's like, it's like an apple tree with too many apples, right? And you see people jamming two by fours under the, the branches of the, the apple tree to just try and hold them up. So be careful. Don't let this happen. Do your pruning early in the season. Uh, limelight hydrangea puts all those blooms out on new wood. So that <clears throat> this year's growth, and of course, the blooms started happening in August. Every spring, you've got to cut that limelight hydrangea back so that you can see how it's going to grow. Uh, and uh, like, it wants to be eight feet tall and eight feet wide. If you've got space for that, then that's great. But you're still going to have to thin it out a bit and you're going to have to cut it back just because it'll be too many blooms, too much weight and break breakage as you've experienced. What I would do about that, that broken branch, with it's still holding together, but it's got quite a split in it. Get some uh, gauze, the white cotton gauze that we wrap ourselves in when we are, get it damaged to ourselves uh, and, and tie those two branches together. Like put them together nice and tight. They could, if they're healthy and happy and, you know, still got vigor, 
by by doing quite a tight um, tourniquet on the branch with the white gauze, tie it up in a little knot nice and tight, it should grow back together. Uh, the cotton gauze will decompose eventually and fall off. If it if it's still there two years from now, go in there and cut it off, but give it give it two years to, to do that. It's it's either gonna work or the branch one of the branches will die. So it's worth a try though and I you want whatever you're gonna tie it up with to be a breathable fabric and also a stretchable or flexible fabric, something that won't actually cut off the circulation in the branch of the tree or shrub. Okay. Uh, a couple of folks have noted that they listen into the show as they drive around in their car. Just thought, just in case you happened along and found us and think, hey, what station is this? This is AM 740, Zoomer Radio, located in Toronto. And I'm Frank Proctor. Charlie Dobbin is our master gardener, who will now answer a little question from Jean Milne, (laughs) who has sent you um, a a neat little picture. She says, my neighbor and I would like to find out information on this perennial, the name of it. And there are pods on it, like milkweed. Do hope you can help us. She got it last year from a reputable gardener. Still enjoy the show, says Jean. (laughs) Well, good for you. Thanks, Jean. Uh, I'm not surprised it looks a bit like milkweed. It is a species of milkweed. (laughs) It it doesn't look like the the traditional milkweed that we think of the monarch butterfly caterpillars eating with the, and then the pink flowers and then the big, you know, sort of puffy pods. This is actually called butterfly weed is the common name. The proper name is Asclepius or A-S-C-L-E-P-I-A-S, Asclepius tuberosa. So uh, butterflies love it. Uh, It just gets covered in butterflies because for two reasons. It's got lots and lots of flowers and lots and lots of nectar in all those flowers. So butterflies love it and good for you for for growing it. And it's uh, it does look great. So, you know, keep growing it and share it with your friends if you can. Well, this is just a show of happenstance sometimes. Here is a note from Jacqueline Deeren, who sent you a picture, and I looked at this, I couldn't believe it myself. She said, Charlie, have you ever seen a monarch beautiful at a hummingbird theater? Just amazing. And is it ever a lovely shot? Yeah, beautiful. And, and again, what do butterflies love? Nectar. What do hummingbirds love? Nectar. So <laughs> they, they can certainly visit the same flowers. Same, yeah, flowers. And in this case, a feeder. It's interesting though, because you remember like a hummingbird's got the long beak and it can reach into the hummingbird feeder and into flowers. Whereas butterflies, their tongue unrolls. Like it's, um, it's like it rolls up into their mouths and it unrolls out of their mouths. So it's pretty cool that this monarch was able to unroll its tongue down into the little tiny hole in the nectar, uh, the, you know, the hummingbird feeder and get itself something to drink. So good for that monarch butterfly. It's going to go places. Yeah. You know, uh, like myself and a whole bunch of other folks who love monarch butterflies, and they feed on the milkweed. How how do you how easy it is to to get seeds for milkweed and and, and so forth? How can hey, how can you do that? C- come on down to my place. <laughs> <laughs> I got lots. <laughs> um, you know what? In the urban environment, more and more, I have seen milkweed plants for sale, which is kind of cute. But frankly, seriously, just go for a drive in the country. Go go now if you can. 
You'll see lots of milkweed all going to seed right now. The pods are very distinctive. Take some pods home, sprinkle, you know, let them mature and, and they'll open and fly around your garden. And you only need one or two plants for most urban people. They don't have room for more than that. But um, yeah, it's nice to, you want to support, definitely want to support all your little creatures, uh, birds, butterflies, toads. Here's a cute story. Um, I have a lot of that kind of wildlife in my new place. And we brought in some very beautiful, triple mix remember i, I shot sent you some video of seeing some of that triple mix well my my little neighborhood fox who lives in my back 40 was really interested in that triple mix so the the day after it was kind of scattered around the the motion lights kept coming on at night because the fox kept kept playing in all this triple mix it was like little footprints everywhere just what's this what's this all the the crows all the little animals are very excited because um, there's big changes happening in my yard okay uh, maybe a good time as we approach our next break here to remind folks that yes indeed this is a recorded show we recorded this last monday the 31st of August and of course being replayed as you listen now on a September 5th Saturday morning but we you know we plan on being in the studio Saturday September 12th to do our show live from there and of course that means getting phone calls on the air from you folks which is delightful yeah. but just in case we would still appreciate a, an email or two just to have in in the, um, you know uh, in case we need it so send along your email if you would please a question to Charlie Dobbin at C dot Dobbin that's D-O-B-B-I-N at mzmedia.com and with that said let's take our little break here give our sponsors a chance to get their word on the air I'm Frank Proctor Charlie and I will be back in just a moment on Zoomer Radio fur and feathers and bugs of all size there's more going on in the garden than you realize should small creatures become a big problem then you've got the garden show with Charlie Dobbin exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I've got a note here from Carol Sloberski, who writes, My roses have gotten very tall and lanky. Some are shrub roses and others are floribundas, almost five feet tall, especially my sexy Rexy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I know, it's a good name, eh? Yeah, sexy Rexy. <laughs> Look at that one. Anyway, it's they, a did, nice rose. they did bloom very well, but I'm thinking of trimming them before winter. Would leaving them about 6 to 12 inches high be too drastic? Any suggestion would be appreciated. I live in a suburb south of Buffalo, New York, and I really think we're more in a zone 4 as far as the weather conditions are in my area. Love your Saturday morning show. It's so enlightening and pleasant. Thank you, Carol Slaberski. There you go. Yeah, thank you, Carol. Uh, Okay. Uh, that's interesting. She's got floribundas almost five feet tall. Like, I wonder what Carol's doing to grow. Like, normally, floribundas never go more than about three feet tall. So I wonder if maybe you're using an awful lot of fertilizer, and that's where the tall and lanky is coming from. What I, my suggestion, okay, a couple things with roses. When I was trained back at university on how to care for roses, we were taught in the British way. And in Britain, what they do, and this totally speaks to what you're talking about, and that is that you trim your roses to your knees in the fall, so knee height in the fall, ankles in the spring. So ankle height in the spring. So that means, you know, they can do whatever they want all summer, but down to the knees in, you know, October, November, and down to the ankles in March or April. So yes, you can do that. You can trim them. I'd probably, in your case, go down to about 12 inches high for the fall. Now in the spring, I would go lower back 
with the floribundas. Shrub roses, not so much. It depends what kind of shrub roses they are. We don't cut them back quite so dramatically, generally, because they're bigger plants and they need more room. But all the hybrid teas, the floribundas, the grandifloras, knees in the fall, ankles in the spring, not a problem. When you start doing that trimming in the spring is when we fertilize. And at that point, I give them a nice, a really good dose of a rose food. And then I don't typically do a lot more fertilizing after that. Uh, it's a granular fertilizer that I give, so it should last a good two months, six weeks to eight weeks. And after that, I let them be. So just be careful you're not over fertilizing with the roses and make sure they're getting the six hours of sun that they need every day. Um, you can certainly top dress with a good organic compost fall or spring, but only give a real, if you're feeding synthetic food, do that in the spring only. All righty. Okay. You know, one of the benefits of uh, doing a show that contains so many emails, of course, is the fact that uh, folks can send you a photograph. You've got a chance to look mm. at it, identify it, mm. and come up with a solution that you might have to, you know, go to the Internet for. But in any case, here is another situation where Bev Walker has written in, Good morning, Charlie and Frank. Just want you to know what to do with this plant for the winter. It's been outside all summer. It looks very healthy with three new leaves. Thanks, and I love your show. Okay, so the plant she's talking about is in the subject line, and that's an amaryllis bulb. And this actually, just as a quick aside, with all, you know, the, the emails we've been getting have been great, just so everybody knows. I, I think they're wonderful. It is certainly possible that we will continue this idea, even when we are live back in the studio and we are doing telephone um, and I'm answering off the top of my head to the best of my ability, all the questions that come in. I have a feeling we're just going to have to make it a part of the show is a, an email segment because it, it has been pretty good. The, the questions and the photos are great. So amaryllis bulbs, Bev. Yes, indeed. I have the same thing. I have six or seven pots of amaryllis plants uh, outside, sitting outside, green leaves, and I water them, you know, every week or so and leave it alone. Just leave it outside. I mean, you could bring them in now if you like. It depends when you want it to bloom. What I do, usually it's about mid-September, I stop watering the amaryllis bulbs that are in the pots and that are all green right now and have been growing all summer. So once we stop watering them, we tuck them somewhere, corner of the garage or in a corner of a porch or corner of the basement, and we just forget about them. No water. They, you know, it's not like they need a cool spot. Dark is fine. And, um, but by not watering them, of course, all the green leaves turn yellow. That takes a week or two. And then by that time, it's the end of September, and we leave them there through October, through November, and if you would like about the middle of December to pull those plants out from wherever you've tucked them away, put them in a nice sunny windowsill, water them once, and watch what happens, because <laughs> they will start to grow back again. They're just going to need a little break. You're going to enforce a dormant period on these plants by not watering them, and that will give them the break that they need, and once you start to water them and provide some light in mid-December, you should have beautiful blooming amaryllis just in time for Christmas. Okay, sure. I'm looking at uh, the next question I have in front of me sent in from Gary and Susan Miller, but I think it might entail a larger uh, amount of time than we've got available to us right now. So let me, uh, you just mentioned that 
as part of the show when we get back in the studio would be a section where we indeed devote that to emails. I'm going to save this question for next mm -hmm. week. And Gary and Susan Miller, just keep listening in. Uh, we'll have an answer from Charlie regarding your three large banana trees. I'm anxious to hear <laughs> about that. Uh, and in the meantime, let you know that uh, we will, uh, as well, all things being equal, be in the studio uh, a week from today on the Saturday, September 12th. We'll welcome your phone calls, of course. And uh, gosh, it's been really wonderful to have so much input from our listeners over this past, well, what, three months almost, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the last time you and I did a show live in the studio was Saturday, March 14th. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> isn't that so? Yeah. April, May, June, July. Yeah, four and a half, five months. Wow. So I know it's been a while, and I miss seeing you, and I particularly miss your your funky socks. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've got a wild pair on right now. As a matter of fact, I wish I'd take a I, shot of them. Wow. Multicolored. You do. <laughs> they always, they're always make me giggle. <laughs> well, to so, all our listeners, we, we mm -hmm. trust you're going to have a wonderful week, and we uh, will join you next Saturday morning live on the air from the studio, and that'll be a, an exciting day, Charlie. It will be. I'll bring the mimosas. <laughs> okay. Oh, good idea. <laughs> well, Joel, uh, you're invited to come on into the studio and have a little uh, sip I of something know. there, too. Joel just be happy to not have to deal with us, probably. <laughs> Thanks so much, Frank. Thanks, Joel. Couldn't do any of this without you, too. And thanks especially to our listeners and their great questions. And keep them coming. We'll see you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.